Finishing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I believe it's a crisis, but call it what you will. Uh, the challenge of not knowing who's coming in and out of our country and what drugs or people or uh, illicit materials might be coming across our southern border is real. We need to take serious action against them. The president's executive order does just that. This isn't your dad's Democratic Party anymore. This is a whole new different Democratic Party. This is the one where half of them, you know, sit on their hands when the president says we won't be socialist. I don't know how much of school I'm going to attend, but I'm going to go in and talk to my deans and everyone and hope that I can try and balance it all. Um, but I do want the experience of like game days, partying. I don't really care about school, as you guys all know. <laughs> And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, wow. So if you know anything about American colleges, you know there are plenty of party schools in America um, that don't have as rigorous of uh, admissions requirements. And you can get into almost any school if you're willing to pay. So if your parents are worth millions of dollars, they can pay for you to go to any school. And instead of declaring a difficult major like pre-med or, you know, something really tough, uh, in the science, technology, engineering, or math field, you can declare yourself an art major. You can still go to school and experience all of the parties and game days. You can still be a cheerleader or participate in extracurricular activities. And you can go to school for four years, five years, six years. They'll just keep taking your money. Um, you don't have to, uh, you know, it, it, you can get into almost any school that way. Honestly, it's, it's this is not needed. If you want to buy buildings for a college or university, you can do that. Um, you don't have to do it to get your kid into the school if your kid is not academically qualified. I just think it's funny that that's where we are, that, that that's how they felt they had to, to, to roll this situation. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, this hour of the program, we are going to be talking a little bit. We'll, we'll weave in and out of that, and we'll take more calls. Obviously, it's Friday. We'll talk about anything, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Um, but what we will do also, and you're the guest this hour, no guests this hour except the callers, um, we're also going to listen to this audio now. So Robert Francis O'Rourke, that's Beto O'Rourke's real name. Robert Francis O'Rourke, who actually happens to be of Irish-American ancestry, not, not Mexican or Hispanic at all, um, he is, he's been saying we should tear down the wall. What wall there is, we should tear it down. And Cotton, uh, Tom Cotton has really just been, he's been on a tear. He's just been amazing. And he goes into beast mode. And you, you guys know how I have, I love some Washington Free Beacon, some award-winning Washington Free Beacon. And I love it when they find an audio clip that they designate as beast mode. Because if you have to watch the video. It's a bear roaring at the sky, you know, clawing the air, and then a nuclear explosion, a nuclear explosion, you know, the little mushroom cloud, and then some guy um, driving one of those monster trucks over a bunch of cars, and then someone screaming beast mode in a really deep voice, and it's hilarious, and then, of course, there's the audio clip, and then they close it out with a little bit more, so let's listen to that. It's number one. The Democrats' newest presidential aspirant, Robert Francis O'Rourke, a former congressman and failed Senate candidate, has gone so far to suggest tearing down existing barriers at the southern border, which I'm sure thrilled all the good people in El Paso who don't live in a world of private planes and security details. 
Okay, I think my producer cut out the beast mode portions of that. But <laughs> and this is a great point that Senator Cotton is making. And why is he having to make that point? Because, and I, I thought to myself, not that I, I can tell the future, but it was, I think, during um, the original discussion about the wall last year in the fall, when the president started to toying around with the, you know, he said, I'll declare a national emergency if I have to. Well, it turns out that there was some discussion back then. People were saying how well the wall works in certain parts of the southern border, like San Diego, El Paso, areas that don't have high, uh, you know, uh, entrance rates of illegal aliens. They don't have a lot of crime pouring over the border and they don't have huge problems with drug, you know, drug trafficking. And I thought to myself, some nincompoop's going to say we need to tear down those walls. And sure enough, that nincompoop is uh, Francis, Robert Francis O'Rourke. It's like a mouthful and you're not used to saying it because he just calls himself Beto, which at what part of Robert Francis do you get Beto out of? Anyway, he is the one who did it. He's the one who actually went through and made good on what I felt like was, I felt like it was pretty probable, but who, who can, who can tell what people are really actually going to do? But I thought there'll be somebody who'll say, let's just tear the wall down. And so it's him. Now he's crazy pants for saying that, but let's not, let's not play. Let's not act like we don't know. He's a crazy, crazy individual for even insinuating that we should tear down any wall. It's just ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It's, 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 lunatic talk is what it is now we did go into this a little bit yesterday but i did find a couple more salient details i'm pivoting over to the fentanyl crisis and how the obama administration actually didn't do anything about it and i found this piece over at breitbart you know god bless them over at breitbart where they're talking about this letter that was written um and this is all a part of that Washington Post expose that blames the Obama administration for not doing anything about the fentanyl crisis. But it turns out this was in May of 2016. So still plenty of time for President Obama to declare a national emergency on this, a health emergency, which would have then made resources and money available for combating this. Now, you know how much I hate the czars. I don't think we need czars in addition to the heads of government agencies. But notice how the Republican presidents haven't gotten rid of them. That, that is what is so interesting to me is that a Democrat and we need czars like we're a Russian country. The first thing President Trump should do is get rid of every single czar, quote unquote, reasoning because czar is a name for a leader in uh, Russia. And he's not about Russia. He's not a Russian puppet. He has nothing to do with Russia. He should get rid of the czars. But no matter. We still have them. And so the czar of uh, health did a drug czar the head of the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, none of these people were able to take that letter to President uh, Obama at the time and say, look, this is actually something serious. They're asking for a, a national health you know, emergency declaration to kind of elevate this subject so that not only Americans but healthcare professionals and anyone having anything to do with this would be aware that they should be on the lookout for these um, – First of all, the illegal trafficking of this and the fact that it was two separate problems. It's not just people getting addicted to op opioids that they've been prescribed. It's also people getting addicted to heroin and then having heroin laced with fentanyl where the, the same amount of heroin they've been taking kills them or they take more and it kills them because it's laced with fentanyl. So there were just a small amount of deaths. Any amount is too much, but there were a small number, like, you know, over 3,000. 
And that number spiked up to over 28,000. Now, in a country of 300 million, maybe Barack Obama just didn't see the sense in making a big deal out of it because it just wasn't 10,000 or it wasn't 100,000. But why do we have to wait until it gets to that level? In this piece, they actually talk about how the rapid increase in deaths due to fentanyl overdoses. Fentanyl overdoses have actually killed more Americans than the Vietnam War. Fentanyl has killed so many people that the average life expectancy of an American has been dragged down by this. You remember the Democrats talking about white people are dying off. We're glad because the white people are part of the patriarchy. I just don't know how any white people vote for the Democrats. Now, I know I've said that about black people, but let's just, just unpack this for one second. Just help me out here. How do you as a white person hear the Democrat leadership talking about how, well, white people have, you know, white people have, they're dying off early because they just won't get out of the rural areas and they just won't be progressives and they don't believe in climate change. When they make comments like that, how do you then say, yeah, but I'm still voting. I'm still a Democrat and I'm still voting for the Democrats. The Democrats have systematically and routinely with effort gone through and insulted every single constituency group they have except the LGBT community. Why would anybody else vote for them? I just don't get it. I don't get how you can be Jewish and say, I'm going to vote for the Democrats um, when the Democrats are currently lifting up and promoting individuals who are anti-Semitic. Like every single thing you could possibly think of that you want the, the government to fix because it's a part of their mandate as opposed to fixing social policy. Not only are they not doing it, but they're insulting anybody. Like if you just are in with eyeballs view, they're insulting you. And they have to do that because they failed at so many different policy aims. And my favorite is how people who have a Republican governor, and I've, I've run up against this buzzsaw a few times, especially in the last couple of weeks, but a few times recently, it's become much more prevalent where Someone will say, well, my governor's a Republican and it's his fault that we have X, Y, and Z. Um, and when you ask him, you say, well, I, are you aware that your governor doesn't actually have anything to do with that? That tax or that regulation is governed by your municipality or your mayor or somebody like that. Like some, It's someone who's still elected by you, but it's not your governor. But he's the one who's in charge and he's a Republican and it's his fault. So the scapegoating is rampant. And let's, let's, let's be real here. We all do that. We all suspect that the things that aren't going right, it's the fault of the opposing party, whatever. But, I mean, if, if you don't have any proof, there's no way you can connect it. How, how are you blaming that person? But just because they're a Republican. And so we're seeing that with just, just a ton of different uh, of items. So I want to pivot over. We're going to run down all this news today because there was some news I didn't get to yesterday and all of the excitement and hullabaloo of uh, borrowing a studio. And I want to get to a ton of it today. You know, you kind of go out on uh, into the weekend on a ton of news and information. Just slide on in. Um, So this one is about U.S. regulators wanting the public's view on cars that don't have a steering wheel or brakes. Yes, the story is on Reuters. You're probably thinking, oh, Stacy's on some kind of weird, like, you know, no news, fake news website. No, I'm on Reuters.com. U.S. regulators uh, will ask the public if robotic cars should be allowed on streets. These robotic cars have no steering wheels. They don't have brake pedals. And they're trying to set what would be the first legal boundaries for their design in the world's second largest vehicle market. 
Why is this even a question? Why, why are we? Robots can be hacked. I was just driving in the city of St. Louis today to go to a pro-life luncheon this afternoon. It was before I came back home to do the show. And no sooner than I got within the city limits, I noticed how crazy people drive and almost all the cars are dented and like, you know, just crashed up. And the people are driving like their car is dented. Or cra- they drive like they're on some kind of go-kart uh, track, just jump over in front of you. They don't even need to. There's nobody in front of them. There's nobody to the side of them. They just crash over in front of you and you have to hit the brakes and honk your horn and they just keep on, you know, it's like you can hear the Mario Kart music playing in their heads while they're driving like a lunatic going over the lines, you know. Um, why would we, so you're, you're going to say a robot would be better than that, but a robot can be hacked. We got it bad enough with our regular, just plain old American drivers and then all the illegal aliens who are running around killing folks with their cars and then we're going to put robotic cars on the road. It's like someone who has a big, huge problem in their in their household. And, you know, maybe they have, I don't know, a dog that's out of control that bites people and destroys property and stuff. And the next time you see them, you, you live across the street and you're wondering what they're going to do with that crazy dog. And you see them and they're like, yep, we love our dog so much. We're going to get two more. And you're like, whoa, whoa, you you can't control the dog you have. Yeah. But we think getting a couple more dogs will help them out. No, they won't. That's what this is like. U.S. regulators should be trying to figure out how they can help Boeing handle the plane with the Max 8, you know, the problem with the Max 8 and the Max 9. The National U.S. Highway Traffic Safety Administration should be figuring out what is the proper size of truck, 18-wheeler, what I'm talking about, um, without putting that extra 18-wheeler on the back as like something they're towing. Instead of doing that, could you increase the length of the truck just a tad to get a little more uh, transportation ability without making it dangerous and, and making it stopping the distance needed for it to come to a full stop to be so long that basically it's an accident waiting to happen. Like there are other problems that need to be solved here. And there are competing interests, obviously. The railroads don't want the truckers to increase their truck sizes because it Im- infringes on how many businesses will use rail to transport their products which is traditionally, and it it is the best and most efficient method because the rail may run alongside of a road, but it doesn't run on the road. So the the road is freed up so more cars can traverse the road and put the products and stuff on the trucks that are the the, uh, actual cabooses that are, you know, on the trains. It's like people who are overwhelmed and then they're like, yeah, I can do one more thing. No, you can't. You can't do anything else because you're already overwhelmed. What a dumb idea. I'm against it. We'll be back with more after this. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your health care. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. 
That's 855-PSALM-23, 855-PSALM-23. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. In a previous set of commentaries, I talked about the interview Nick Pitts and I did with Jonathan Haidt on his book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Then I saw an essay that quoted his earlier book, The Righteous Mind, where he talked about the conservative advantage. As a liberal, he wrote the book because he was convinced that American liberals do not get the morals and motives of their conservative countrymen. In one study he did with Jesse Graham and Brian Nosick, they tested how well liberals and conservatives could understand each other. They had the people fill out the Moral Foundations questionnaire. One-third of the time, they were supposed to fill out the questions normally, answering as themselves. One-third of the time, they were asked to fill out the questions as they think a typical liberal would respond. And one-third of the time, they were supposed to fill out the questionnaire the way they believed a typical conservative would respond. The design of the research allowed the researchers to examine the stereotypes that each side had about the other. This also allowed them to see how accurate their answers were compared to people who were liberal and people who were conservative. They concluded that the results were clear and consistent. Moderates and conservatives were most accurate in their predictions, whether they were pretending to be liberals or conservatives. Liberals were the least accurate, especially those who described themselves as very liberal. I might add that this study was published 10 years ago. I think that it's even more likely that the gap in perception by liberals of conservatives has grown even more. Much of what Jonathan Haidt has written about in his recent books illustrates how millennial college students want even more protection from ideas they don't like. They're less likely than before to engage foreign ideas. And this is one example of why we have such polarization in the political arena. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Run. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The work that Google is doing in China is, direct, is indirectly benefiting the Chinese military. And, uh, and I've been very public on this issue as well. In fact, the way I described it to our industry partners is, look, we're the good guys in the, in the, the values that we represent and the, in the system that we represent is the one that will allow and has allowed you to thrive. And, uh, and that's the way I've characterized it. So I, I was just nodding that what the secretary was articulating is a general sense of all of us as leaders. And we watch with great concern when industry partners work in China, knowing that there is that indirect benefit. And frank, frankly, indirect may be, uh, maybe not a full characterization of the way it really is. It's more of a direct benefit to the Chinese military. I just want to underscore this for the record so that we are absolutely perfectly 100% clear here that Google, an American company based in this country, uh, so again, a supposedly an American company, is doing work in China that directly or indirectly benefits the Chinese government at a time of increased peer competition with this country. We are in a, a, a struggle with the Chinese government over whether or not they're going to become a regional and maybe global hegemon with values very different from ours, certainly values that do not favor freedom in the world. And we have an American company that does not want to do work with our Defense Department, which is you know, one thing, but they're happy to help the Chinese, at least the Chinese government, that is, the Chinese military, at least indirectly. I think that's just extraordinary. 
Uh, so that's Senator Josh Hawley, the junior senator from the great state of Missouri. Welcome back to the program and thanks for being here today. Happy Friday. Um, thanks for listening and tuning in and for liking all of our channels. We have American Family Radio, American Family Association, Urban Family Talk, Stacy on the Right Show, and then all of the websites, AFR.net, AFA.net, StacyOnTheRight.com. So uh, whatever you like, it's to hit the subscribe button. We just love you guys so much. We love our listening audience and our live stream viewers. And we just think everybody um, is so awesome for being here with us and supporting what we do. I want to go to the phones and then we'll talk about that interchange between the chairman of Joint Chiefs and Senator Hawley chatting about Google and China and what Google does in America, which it's kind of surprising to me that this is the situation. But right now, uh, border wall and Trump veto. Kelly in Alabama. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hey. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Uh, I have a comment. I know I've heard you say about the, you know, we lock our doors at night to not let, you Mm -hmm. know, to keep our family safe, not not because we hate our neighbors. But I kind of thought of a a different scenario. What if you're outside, you have a fence, and someone said, there's there's 20 people on the other side of your fence, and four are child molesters, eight are gang members, and the rest are children and you know, maybe okay, but you don't know who's who, except for maybe the children. So you're just supposed to let them all in, right? Because and sort it out afterwards. There, but a lot of them are bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, just let them all in, and then when they get inside yeah. and they start acting like you knew they would, because they ha- they literally said, "Well, because have you do?" I'm, I got a question for you, Kelly. Have you seen the uh-huh. news stories on Fox where uh, they when the caravan was getting put together? And they had some Fox News reporters travel down there and they were asking the people, like, what's your story? Why are you in the caravan? And one of the guys was like, well, I used to live in America illegally, but then I was convicted of a crime and I was deported. But I want to go back. I'm hoping they'll let me back in. And he said, what, what crime were you convicted of? And the guy said, uh, manslaughter. And the Fox News reporter just looked at the camera like, oh, this I mean, wow. how much more do they have to do? If you've been convicted of manslaughter, served time, and left the country by force, we forced you out, and they're still trying to come back in, and the liberals are like, well, we got to let them in. No, we don't. I don't understand. I just don't get it. I'm just still mm. baffled. But I, you know what? I'm not baffled by the politicians. I'm baffled by the people that support them. I'm kind of just like, I mean, obviously there are times when you want to be you know, you want to be giving like we that's what we do with the refugees. We say, oh, your country's war torn. And yes. so we'll take so many people in. Of course. We already do that more than any other country. We take in refugees. But but why do we have to take in the criminals and stuff? Like, I don't understand why the liberals don't have any delineation. They don't say we should take in the people who mm-hmm. deserve to come in because they have a need. But we shouldn't take in the criminals. They're just like everybody has to come in. What is going on with these people? And you, I have another point about something kind of different, because, uh, but I didn't mention it to your screener. Sure. And it's something I'm coining as the, the gray Christians. And I, I say that because they don't want to make it. They say they're a Christian, but, but they see things in some areas as gray. They can't make a commitment. And, and mm-hmm. I, a person said it to me recently, and I said, there is no gray. It's black no. and white. There is good and evil, period. There's, not, there's right and wrong. Um, God bless you for saying that, Kelly, because that's the truth that you should have spoken in that moment. And I, I'm grateful that you did that because what happens is, and I've been here too, where 
the person you're talking to, you like them, or maybe you don't know them very well, and they say something like that, and you just kind of bite your tongue because you don't you don't want to pick a fight, or maybe you're in public, or whatever the case may be. But when you just go ahead and say, ah, there's no gray, and you just, you know, without without fighting, without going into a whole spiel, you just say, there's no gray, there's only black and white, there's only truth and lies, you know, you really have to pick. It, it leaves something with that person that they can think about later, and the Holy Spirit can work with them and, you know, help bring them to the truth. Where when we're silent, if you just don't say anything, the person can kind of sit there in that and believe that it's okay because you didn't contradict them. So you you did the right thing. I don't understand how you can find a gray area on something like immigration where people are dying. Um, you know, I, I know there are other areas where people can agree to disagree, but not on immigration. Like that that's not one we can. Even, yeah, go ahead. The homosexual thing, even that. Uh, I'm like, there's no, no. there's no, there's no gray. <laughs> No, it's right and wrong. I mean, so I remember you know, a couple days ago I, I was talking about Christian. that. It's a good, it's a good moniker. It's a good descriptor. Um, but Kelly, I was talking about that the other day when I went into a little bit of you know a lengthy discussion about homosexual behavior and how the the church has to hold our ground and we have to to preach the truth of the gospel. And I had you know I, I had a couple emails where someone was really upset with me for saying that. And he said, "I'm you know I'm on the conservative side with you, and here you are." bashing me. And so, you know, where am I supposed to go? Well, it's not about conservatism. What what we believe about what the Bible says supersedes party affiliation, Republican, conservative. You got to be on the side of what the Bible says, or you're against what the Bible says. So it's it's not about me. It's not about Kelly. It's not about, you know, uh, Devin, my producer. It's, it's about, um, it's about the truth. And God bless you. You you got some courage in you. Keep it up. Don't let that yeah. go. Hey, Tell I'm, the I truth when they say it. At me, but that's all well, right. <laughs> you know what? Who you know who's Praise not mad Lord at you though? That's right. The Lord is is he's like that's right. Kelly, my girl, speaks the truth, and in the end, <laughs> he's the only one you got a, a your approval. The only approval you need is from him. And so, if you're speaking the that's truth, right. especially in a loving way, where you're just like, up, oh, that's that's just, you know, rethink that, and then moving on. I find that if you get drug into a conversation about it where you have to kind of, well, what, what proof do you have? You don't need any proof. You just go consult the scripture. Um, I'm just telling you that I can't mm-hmm. accept you saying that to me. And then boom, you know, that, that's something that can, that the Lord can work with. We got to do more of that. Y'all Kelly, Kelly's the, the lost leader for today. She's the one who's setting the standard. Do as Kelly did that time. Tell the truth to your friends when they start spouting that's off right. that gray well, stuff. Don't want to be great Christians. You, you too, Kelly. Thank you for calling the show. Um, I, I think that is so fascinating. Every time I've let it stand where I didn't say something, I've regretted it. And I, there have actually been times like I remember one time. Oh, what were we talking about? It was me and someone who it turns out we disagreed. Oh, uh, OK. I had uh, uh, my tire was low. <laughs> so the tire on my minivan was low. And I had stopped into this gas station where he has a little like two bay garage where he would plug your tire. And I went in and I was like, how much to plug my tire? I'm, I'm afraid I'm gonna have to get it replaced. He was like, if you, if you got here fast enough, you won't have to get it replaced. I can plug it. So he had his mechanic put it up and it was the owner guy. And I actually had never talked to him before, even though this place was close to where we used to live. Um, and uh, so he started talking to me, this was to, to let you know how long ago this was. He started talking about the bailouts, the financial bailouts for the financial sector, um, which, he said the Republicans, it was like a scam that the Republicans were running to bail out the big banks, but the little guy wasn't getting bailed out. And so I explained my position on it. 
And instead, I thought he was going to bite my head off, quite honestly. And instead of doing that, he was like, uh, okay, that's the first time anybody's ever explained that to me like that. Um, he said, do you, do, where did you, where did you get that from? And I told him, I gave him a website to go to. And I, he said, I, I'll check it out. I said, okay. Um, and I, I wasn't sure what to say next. And he said, you know, I guess you're probably like, like you're on the right. And, and this was back before I was doing any of this stuff. This was literally, I was still just momming around and volunteering in my kid's school district um, and driving a minivan a lot and doing a lot of shopping at Sam's Club. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I'm, I tend to vote with, with, with the Republicans. And he said, so, you know, as a black person, you're, and I said, I don't do stuff as a black person. And he laughed and he was black. And I said, um, do you do stuff as a black person? And he was laughing and he said, what do you mean? I said, do you get up in the morning and say, well, I'm black, still black today. What am I going to do today? What, what do I have on my list to do today? I'm black. And so I'm going to go do this as a black person. I'm going to do that as a black person. And he, he just kept on laughing because I was, you know, making that stupid voice. And he said, well, no, I don't do that. I said, you own a business. You know, you, you, you do things based on, hey, this is what I have to do today. Do you ever in the, in the middle of a decision say, oh, I can't do that. I'm black. He said, no. I said, so why would you say I wouldn't be like, how do I find being on the right side of politics because I'm black? And he was like, oh, that's a good point. He was like, I'm going to stop talking to you because you're making a lot of sense. And then we started laughing and my, my tire was plugged and I paid him and I went on my way. And he said, you should stop in here. And we, he said, we could talk politics again. And I said, if my tire is uh, leaking, then yes. But I usually I'm busy with kids and I can't stop in. And um, so we laughed and then I went about my way and I, I didn't really bump into him again after that. But the point to me sharing that story is just that I didn't expect it to go like where we'd be laughing with each other. I thought here's, you know, here's, he's a nice guy, obviously a very nice gentleman. He just happens to be black. So I assumed he was a Democrat and he was, but I thought when he made that comment about the financial bailouts and I gave him the information that I knew I thought he was just going to, you know, little argument, maybe mini argument. And then we would just be sitting there in silence while I got my tire plug. And instead it turned into a really nice, just kind of back and forth. And I, I don't think I converted him to conservatism, but I gave him some information that he said he'd never heard before and a place where he could go look, you know, look it up for himself. And I just think we need to give ourselves more chances to do that. Um, but I, and I, I acknowledge, because I know if you're listening right now, if you're in your car, you're probably like, Stacy, look at how crazy people get when you bring anything up. The only caveat to that is nowadays, because this was years ago, obviously, um, you, you kind of can't bring up President Trump. Like you can't, you have to have the discussion centered around whatever the issue is, not President Trump, because as soon as his name comes up, people literally, you can see them, they just get, they start vibrating like they're tuning up for like an explosion. It's crazy. Um and I think in those moments, we can just say a silent prayer and ask the Lord to be in the midst to keep the conversation calm. Um, but sometimes, you know, we're bumping into these people for a reason. And just like Kelly did when she was, she just shared that quick truth, just quick, boom, boom. And if people get mad at her, so be it. I'm, you know, to, to kind of link arms with Kelly, call her Kelly just to, from a second ago, um, I realized recently that a couple of people that I think maybe didn't know what I do for a living, they're now aware and their demeanor has changed. I have no proof, but I just noticed a marked difference in the way they're behaving. And I know what, what happens is 
I'll be in some setting that has nothing to do with what I do, because this is not the whole of me, this two-hour radio show um, and StacyOnTheRight.com. That's not every part of me. That is just, that's, that's my work, and I, I enjoy doing it, and I'm happy to do it, and I'm blessed that God has given me this to do. Happy to do it, but it's not the whole of me. So when I'm somewhere with people that I don't know, I don't just come in and start handing out Stacy on the Right show, you know, cards and mugs. If it comes up, sure, I'll share it. If it doesn't come up, it's, if it's not germane to the conversation, I don't need to talk about it. Um, and so in this particular setting that I'm thinking of, I, I know other women in that uh, area know what I do for a living and they happen to be right-sided, so they're happy about it. Uh, but I haven't made any announcements or anything. And I could always tell when someone is a Democrat and they found out what I do because they just start, they, every time they see me, they do this. Heads tilted to one side and they're just looking at me. And I'm thinking... Oh, you just heard about Stacy on the right, didn't you? Oh, too bad for you because you look unhappy. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not phased at all. And when people that kind of liked me before, or we were like getting along before, when they change their mind or they get mad because they find out that I'm Stacy on the right, um, I know this upsets people when I say it, but it is the truth. It has to be the truth for me. Otherwise, I'm like a, a little tiny wooden boat out on the open ocean in the Atlantic, when the storms come, I would be completely broken apart. When a whole bunch of people didn't like me at the same time, I'd be completely undone, capsized underneath the water, sunk down to the the bottom of the sea. I can't be that. Either I'm doing this because I believe it and it is the truth and I'm trying to share and spread the truth or I'm subject to the whims of every person I encounter who doesn't like what I've said and I need to change myself in order to make them happy and that's no way to live. And I know there's somebody out there where you're experiencing this for the first time. Maybe someone's found out that you voted for Trump or that you're on the right or that you're a Christian um, and you're just, you know, you're thinking, wow, I can't believe this person's reaction. People are going to people. Do what you feel God has given you to do. You, if, if God has given you something to do, he's also given you the ability, the courage to do it. And all you have to do is lean on the Holy Spirit. You are ordained for that work. He has given it to you to do. No one can take it from you. And you will accomplish what God has set out for you to do if you do not falter and you don't go by what the people say, which is the waves tossing you around. Keep your eyes on him. He will sustain you for that work and he'll make it not just that you can accomplish it, but that you can do it with enjoyment and you can feel fulfilled in what God has given you to do, whatever that is, what, whatever it is. Um, but I just, I, I can't, I can't stress it enough. Otherwise you just be, you know, over here, over there, over there, over here. All right. There's the music. When we get back, we're going to have Tom Cotton defending president Trump's national emergency in this fantastic Senate speech he gave. Um, and we need to hear it because we, we're going into the weekend. And we're going to, a lot of people are lying about what the president has done, that it's unlawful, unconstitutional. That's not true. So we'll hear that when we get back and we'll take more calls. 866-963-2037. Stay right there. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Planned Parenthood performs surgical abortions on teen girls without parental permission. New research shows another so-called service they provide may be debilitating to the health of young girls. A meta-analysis of research from Brazil, Canada, China, and the U.S. shows healthy teen girls 
who use hormonal contraception containing estrogen and progestin experience significant spinal bone loss over two years. Girls achieve peak bone mass density in their spines between 16 and 19 years old. Those who have lower bone density are widely believed to have an increased risk of fractures later in life. Sadly, Planned Parenthood believes parents should be left out of the decisions affecting the long-term health of teens. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. I love AFR. You say it's on the radio too? Here at American Family Radio, we know that many people find their audio entertainment in other places than the radio. So our programming is available with the AFR app on Apple and Android devices, through Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. I just love the podcasts. That too. American Family Radio, streaming our podcast, now available wherever you are. And we're on the radio. If your primary identity is in Jesus Christ, then you don't care whether your family likes it, you don't care whether black folks like it, or white folks like it, or Democrats like it, or Republicans like it, or independents like it. It's Jesus. You don't care who likes it, you're going to line yourself up with the word of God and what Jesus Christ requires of you. Urban Family Talk with Bishop E.W. Jackson and The Awakening, weekday mornings at 9 central. It's about Jesus. Jesus. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. A college professor's kindness makes today's Dean's List. Wayne Hayer walked into Professor Nathan Alexander's algebra class at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He wasn't alone. Wayne couldn't find childcare for his five-month-old daughter, Asada, and since he didn't want to miss class with midterms getting near, he decided to take her to class. But he mustered up the courage to walk into the room and explain the situation to his professor. Within seconds, Nathan had a fix. One student wrote on Twitter, My professor Nathan Alexander said, I'll hold your daughter so you can take good notes. Thanks to the tweet and other posts from students, Professor Alexander is being praised on social media. One person wrote, You give me faith in humanity and in men. You're my hero. While all eyes are on Professor Alexander and his good deed, he says the focus should be on Wayne's hard work and dedication to his studies. Professor Alexander, you are a wonderful teacher and a terrific human being. Janice Dean, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Since last October, the Border Patrol agents have apprehended more than 260,000 illegal aliens at the border. A surge of 90%, almost double from the previous year. For the most part, these aren't young men coming for work, as is so often the case in the past, but rather Central Americans gaming our generous asylum laws. Instead of running away from the Border Patrol, these illegal, illegal aliens run to it so they can be captured and released into the country without notice to, with notice to appear in court, which they hardly ever do. And thanks to stupid laws and activist judges, Illegal aliens are even using little kids as legal force fields because being detained with a minor increases their odds of being held in America, not turned around and sent home. As a result, we see all the horrors of the human smuggling trade at the border today. And the horrors are the thing that most of us are not getting credit for wanting to stop. People are ascribing a lot of really nasty motives to Americans who want to see 
illegal immigration curbed. And one thing we haven't been discussing is the deportation that has to occur for people who are in the country illegally. And the reason it has to occur is not because we hate people or we want to have a huge, um, you know, like the cattle cars reference. It just keeps coming back. You know, Um, if they're not calling President Trump Hitler, they're saying his supporters want cattle cars. We don't want that. But if you don't deport the people who came in illegally, how do you disincentivize that activity? If you give amnesty, it tells other people all you have to do is get in and stay there for long enough and you'll get out too. By the way, there's no Facebook live stream today. We just have the live stream to uh, YouTube today. Um, so Facebook's been having so many problems. I'm ascribing that to them, not to anything we're doing, um, you know, because we're just doing what we do. Um, so I don't want that to get lost in this discussion. I, I don't want people to get away with, like on Twitter, I, I confronted someone um, she was tweeting out about how it's illegal and unlawful and unconstitutional for the president to have the National Emergency Declaration. Well, we know that's not so. Otherwise, was it unlawful for President Obama to do it? Was it unlawful for President Bush to do it? Was it unlawful for President Clinton to do it? If they had the same congressional authority to do it, then so does President Trump. Also, there's this big discussion going on about the fact that the president has already said he's going to veto uh, this so-called stunning rebuke you guys see the the all the headlines stunning rebuke embarrassing slap to the president how is it embarrassing every president who's ever been elected has had to veto legislation they didn't like that came from congress in fact i don't know if it's george washington one of the very earliest presidents of our country did it 600 and some odd times um every president has done it multiple times and Every president has been overridden at least once. Obama was, Bush was, Clinton was. Some of them were overridden far fewer times and some of them far more. But they were overridden. Now, there's no, there's no, there's not enough votes to override the president on this. He's going to veto it and it's going to be the end of it. And the lawsuits will make their way up through the, the appellate courts. Injunctions will be issued. And then the Supreme Court will ultimately rule on this. The end. But there's nothing unconstitutional about what he did. So I'm going over to Twitter because I want you to um, I, I want to just share this. Um, oh, and so there's some pretty disgusting conversations going on online because of some some news that's just come out. Um, so, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Part three, which here's and you know, let's segue over to the movie segment. And we've talked a lot about immigration. So. Oh, wait, do we have one more piece of Tom Cotton audio? I think we do. Okay, let's finish out this discussion on immigration with this last bit of Tom Cotton. Uh, it's number three. The minority leader called the president's emergency declaration a lawless act that showed naked contempt for the rule of law. Other members of the self-styled resistance have compared the president to Hitler. Curious overheated claims, I have to say. To be lawless, after all, one must act outside the law. Yet the president's critics don't even bother making that case, probably because they don't have much of one to make. The president isn't purporting to invoke his inherent executive powers under Article II of our Constitution. He doesn't even claim to defend his constitutional prerogatives from legislative encroachment. On the contrary, he is only exercising the statutory authority delegated to him 
by us, by this very body, the United States Congress. So if Congress didn't want him to be able to declare national emergencies, they could revoke his ability to do so through legislation. And the reason that they will never do that is because they know that it is it was for a good reason that they gave presidents this authority. They gave the presidents this authority because sometimes you have to declare a national emergency. You don't have time for Congress who might be on a break. Uh, they might be all home in their home districts because it's Christmas or uh, it's the summer break or summer recess. They might not be in town and getting them back might take two or three days, especially if the national emergency that you want to declare has anything to do with weather or air travel or terrorism or domestic threat. And so they're not going to take that ability away. They just don't like that President Trump is using it in a way that they don't like. And what they want him to do is to say, you know what? You don't have a veto proof. Uh, you, you don't have an, a veto, veto proof override majority right now. You can't, ve- you can't override my veto through votes. You don't have the numbers. But I understand where you're coming from. And it turns out it really isn't an emergency. I was just blustering. You're right. I'm just misusing my authority. So forget it. I'm going to eliminate the national emergency at the border. It turns out that is what they want him to do. Because Democrats don't understand no and they don't understand, hey, y'all lost that last election. They're still resurrecting the old audio of President Trump at Washington University when he was asked that. It was like a trick question. If you lose, will you allow the winner of the presidential contest to be the president of the United States or will you continue to fight? Had they ever asked any Democrat that? No. They had never asked anybody else that it's just they have to ask Donald Trump. And then, you know him, troll of America extraordinaire. He was like, yeah, I don't know what I would do. I have to think about it because he was not going to fall prey to their little punk question. And so then now they're using that audio to say that in 2020, if he loses, what is going to happen is he's going to like um, put tanks on the streets of America to stop the natural transition of power. What have they been doing with their insurance policy with Lisa, pa- uh, Lisa, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok? What have they been doing for the past two years? They've been trying to impeach President Trump, lay the groundwork for impeaching him, try to remove him through executive fiat, try to remove him through, um, you know, the Mueller investigation, the Mueller report, indictments, what have you. They've even gone after his family to undo the election because they lost. Also, something that's not widely reported, I believe it's New Jersey is the most recent state to vote that they're going to award their electoral college votes based on who wins the popular vote instead of doing the electoral college. So they're going to disenfranchise every voter in their state so Democrats can win. I can't imagine that withstanding a constitutional challenge. So if there's anybody in America who doesn't believe in the natural transition of power, it's Democrats. They're actually setting us up for some huge constitutional fight that would have to wind its way up to the Supreme Court because they don't want the possibility of losing to Donald Trump again, which is clearly something they're afraid of. If they weren't, why would they be doing that? If they could win elections with the popular vote and the Electoral College, or as we all know, the Electoral College is what matters in this country. So every vote has the same weight. That's why we have the Electoral College. Then they would just be doing that. I mean, it's, it's stunning that we see this behavior from them, yet here we are again. Here we are again. You get to have two-thirds of the Congress to override a veto by the president. They don't have the numbers. 
I mean, I'm, I'm really surprised. And I said it yesterday, uh, you know, um, they don't have the numbers. They have a bunch of turncoats. Some of them we knew. Some, some, some turncoats were known to us. Others we don't know. I still feel the sting of disappointment in, in uh, Senator Roy Blunt voting against the president on immigration. What state does Roy think he's coming from? Um, I still understand that. Uh, so uh, one question on one of the live streams here. Um, how are they going to face the Messiah on Judgment Day? They won't. I mean, yeah, they're going to face him, but they're not. It's not like they're going to say, oh, man, I was wrong all along. There was a time uh, just we were I don't I don't remember if I was at a conference or where I was, but there was a uh, pastor speaking and he was talking about all the misconceptions that we have about different things that, that in the Bible and how the culture is the responsible party for that. So he started off with angels and he said, you know, what we do is we have these ideas about what an angel looks like. And an angel in American culture is a fat, it looks like a huge toddler that's fat and it, its legs are perpetually pulled up like it's in a seat and it floats or it's, you know, leaned out in, you know, kind of a pose and it's still very plump and cute and the wings are short and small and it's a baby and it's an angel. And angels are things that like the, an angel will kiss a baby on the forehead and the angels float in and out and they're beautiful and sweet and light. And he said, I don't know where they got that from, because in the Bible, every time an angel appears to a human, the angel, the, the, the appearance of the angel is so stunning and bright and outsized and frightening that the human being who's being visited always falls to their face and says, Lord, Lord, it, read it for yourself. It's easily searchable in the, in use your bang or your duck, duck, go. There is no time in the Bible where an angel appears, where the human who is receiving the appearance says, Ooh, look at that cute baby angel. Look at those juicy baby thighs. Look at those juicy baby, babyish, angelish angel baby. No one ever says that in the Bible. Some of them pass out. You know, but they, nobody, nobody thinks it's cute. So that is an American cultural thing that we do where we, we make angel statues for our garden and, and, you know, everywhere else we draw them, we put them on, on stuff for kids and angels are always made to, to seem like something that you could just almost hug or kiss or, you know, set on a shelf at your house when an angel is so huge and so terrifying and its voice is so uh, just it's it's scary. It's like people fall down in terror at the sight of an angel. And so if that's the angel and then we go by the other things that we know in the Bible, like when Moses was uh, he was up on the mount and he said, Lord, Lord, let me see your face. And he said, no man can look upon me and live. He said, I will pass by you and allow you to see my glory. So the very bottom edge of the bottom of the robe of God, not the actual like physical part of God, but just the something he's wearing. He could let him see a tiny sliver of it. And he spent time with God getting the 10 commandments and just spending that much time in the presence of the Lord. He came down from the mountain and his face was glowing from being in the presence of the Lord. He could only withstand in his human form to look upon the glory of the Lord, which by the way, just as an encouragement, because I love encouraging you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. That's in the Bible. So you, you have that misconception. And then the pastor went on to talk a little bit more. And he was talking about this, 
this misconception that we have that when we reach the judgment seat, what we're going to do is, you know, we're kind of we're going to die. And then two angels are going to usher us up to the judgment seat. And then when we get there, you know, whatever, whatever time frame we're getting there, you know, if you're pre-trib, post-trib, don't get lost in all that. Just stick with me here. You get there and you're at the judgment seat and you're in the presence of almighty God. And you're like, well, the reason why I didn't do this is because I didn't agree with it. And my pastor misinterpreted such and so-and-so in the Bible. And so for years I thought such and such, and that's why I did that. And then also, and he said, that is foolish talk. If we think an angel, if we, if every time a human being encounters an angel, we fall on our face as if we're dead and we're unable to withstand looking at the angel. It's so mighty and powerful and frightening and utterly bright and, and scary. And, and just, it's so awesome that we can't even look at it and we pass out. What do you think is going to happen when you and your, now you're you know, post-human form, you've left this body on earth. Now your spirit goes up to meet the Lord. You think you're going to twist your little old crooked finger up in the Lord's face? Like you're going to be the same size as him and you're going to be like, look, I, I already told you when I was down there, I prayed up to you that I was never going to be against abortion. No, you're not going to be arguing with almighty God about what his word said and how you executed it. You're not going to get up there and be like, well, you know why I didn't do that? It's because I hated Stacy on the right. And she was just arrogant. And she was just always talking about how she laughed at the haters. And so I never did that in the Bible because of what she said. That's not going to be the conversation you're having. And so if you, <laughs> if you want to have a true understanding, don't, don't take our cultural references and let that be the reality you think you're going to meet at the judgment seat. Go straight to the word. Use your your Bing search engine, study the scriptures, get claw that faith out for yourself. Because if we go by what Hollywood is telling us, and we know there are a bunch of liars, thieves, crooks, and deceivers, bribers, practitioners of every evil work, then you're not going to be ready for what you're going to face when you go to that place. And that's not going to be my responsibility. God bless you. Have a fantastic evening. Citizens from the heartland. Stacey on the right.